Well, that was one minute of silence. I have to say, first service was a lot more quiet than you guys. Um, <laughs> some of you just couldn't like hold it. I was having a hard time too, but good morning, by the way, Jennifer. Good to, good to hear you. You were the first. Uh, anyways, the topic this morning is stillness. Now, let me address the elephant in the room. Me talking about stillness is a little ironic if you know me. I am loud and I am busy. Things I hear at work are, do you have an inside voice? And the answer is no, I have no inside voice. This is the voice I have. Another thing that gets told me when we create calendars for the year, my colleagues say things like, slow it down. No one can keep up with your frantic pace. In fact, in the fall series this year, if you remember, we did these videos of teaching. One of the kids in my youth group, when we showed the video, said, I've never seen you that calm in my life. So apparently when I teach on Wednesday night, I'm a little more hyper. However, whether I'm appropriate to teach on stillness and silence, that's what we're going to try today. So today's sermon is called Be Still, which you failed at already, but I still love you and I think we'll get through it. Let's see how it goes. Now, I do have to say that a few months ago when Gary asked us to preach, he said, you can have uh, December 26th, or January 2nd. I don't know why I took January 2nd, because I had to go after Jerry, and that's a tough act to follow. I should have gone before him. But what's interesting, when he asked me if I wanted to teach, I knew immediately I was going to teach on be still, from the verse, be still and know that I am God. Um, And normally what you do when you're going to teach, you always listen to the person the week before you. Because I've had it happen, even at this place, you have a sermon ready, the guy gets up the week before you and steals half your sermon, and that is never a pleasant experience. But I didn't do that with Jerry. Instead, I showed up last week, and to my pleasant surprise, what he taught, I believe, goes hand in hand with what we're going to talk about today. So if you missed Jerry last week, you want to go listen to it, but he talked about be humble and humble yourself before the Lord, and he talked about how to do it. Well, today we're going to talk about be still, and I want to argue that the two of these go hand in hand. Now, this idea of be still, as ironic as it is is for me to preach, the first question to ask is, is it biblical? Now, normally when I teach, I have a lot of stories, I have a lot of jokes. Uh, I don't have as many today because I'm not a still person. We're going to rely on scripture today, which is as it should be. So the first, if you have a Bible or if you have an app, I want you to open it. We're going to jump to some different scriptures. The first one today is 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13. Now, 1 Kings 19, if you remember it, great story if you haven't read in a while. Elijah faces the prophets on Mount Carmel. You guys remember the story? And so he goes up there and they have this epic showdown. He's calling out to God to bring fire down on his sacrifice, as are the pagan prophets. There's some witty banter that goes on. I remember growing up, one of my favorite lines is when Elijah says, perhaps your God is relieving himself. And at the time, I'm like, well, that's kind of funny. And then when I kind of like digest it, I'm like, did he just say that? Like for reals in the Bible? And it was a great story. But, but beyond the sarcasm and the wit, God shows up and shows off. And he defeats these prophets on Mount Carmel. In fact, the people rise up and they slaughter the prophets on Mount Carmel. Now, as you think about it, Elijah has every reason to be on a high He has every reason to trust in the sovereignty of God. And yet, following this demonstration, Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. And what does Elijah do? He freaks. He panics. 
He runs for the hills quite literally. And when he gets there, it's interesting what the God of the universe does. Now, if I was God, and thank God I'm not, there would have been a lecture. There would have been chastisement. I would have chewed him out. But what does God do instead? Do you remember? He sends an angel to feed him, and he takes a nap. He wakes up, and what does he do? He eats again and takes a nap. This sounds like the perfect Sunday afternoon to me. Eat, take a nap, eat, take a nap. But, but what happens after that, when he wakes up from the second nap, God says, come, on, come out on the mountain. And so here in, in 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13, we see what God does. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, I want you for a minute to forget that you know this story if you already know it. Sometimes I think our Bible knowledge kind of messes up the experience. Because you know what's going to happen. You know, you know how he's going to appear. But imagine that you didn't know it. You're Elijah, and God says, I'm about to appear to you. What do you think the appearance is going to be like? The sovereign, creative God of the universe about to display himself to Elijah. What's it going to be? Well, we get an idea of what it could have been. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. That sounds like a fair way for God to represent himself, right? I mean, the mountain's torn apart, the rocks are shattered. It's like, this is my God. But it says what? It says, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. And I don't mean just a little shake or a little shimmer, but I mean a a mighty earthquake that probably knocked Elijah to his knees. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. Maybe a fire. I mean, God displays himself in flame and fire many times in Scripture. Surely this has got to be it. But it says, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. You think for a minute about all the volume of of rock shattering, of, of earthquake, of fire. And then this gentle whisper comes along. When Elijah heard it, this fascinated me, Elijah knows what it is. He pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Elijah knows that the sovereign God is showing up in this small, still whisper. Now, do we see this idea of of stillness or silence anywhere else in Scripture? Let's jump to Psalm 19, 1 through 4. This is kind of that famous... Uh, star psalm, if I can get there. Psalm 19, 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Anyone actually looked up at the stars lately? It's hard to do when you live in a city. Sometimes you got to get out of the city or you got to have a, a, a night like these nights we've had that are so bitterly cold that the clouds are blown away and you look up and you see the movement of stars. Like if you can get out in a really clear place without a lot of city light, you can actually see that stars, they kind of pulsate with the light and with the energy. It's amazing. And so it says, the heavens declare the glory of Lord. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Watch this. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them yet. What happens in this still silence? Their voices go out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. 
And so is it fair to say that God chooses to represent and proclaim himself in stillness and silence? Are we good with that? Now, the question to ask is why? What's it all about? The, the famous verse, the verse that I thought of for this sermon is, be still and know that I am God. Now, this is a famous verse. We like to crochet it on pillows. We like to put it on wall hangings. And, and it's a great verse, don't get me wrong, but sometimes I think we kind of turn it into like a, a hippie mantra. Is that fair? It's kind of like on the pillow and you grab the pillow to your chest and you're having a rough day and you just hold it and go, be still and know that I am God while you sing Kumbaya. Not bad if you do that. Like, there's other songs out there besides Kumbaya. Let me say that first. But I'm not saying it's bad, but is that really what the psalm is all about? Well, let's jump over to Psalm 46. That's where the, the quote is found. And I loved what Jerry said last week, his joke about there's other verses in the book of Jeremiah besides the one we quote. Well, in this psalm, there's more than just be still and know that I am God. Listen to the context or where this idea of be still and know that I am God comes from. He says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Did you see the video about Brian, little baby Brian? Did you hear the comments afterwards about we're all going through tests in life? This is describing that kind of test. And I would love with the psalmist to say that when the mountains fall into the sea and the oceans roar, I have no fear. The fact is, I do. I, I get terrified when these things happen. When you get that bad news at work, when you get a pink slip, when you get a, a word from the doctor you don't want to hear, we tend to be terrified. But he goes on to say, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. He, she will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. You know, this is the time of year we love to talk about peace on earth, and my prayer for 2022 is we would just experience peace. How is that peace brought about on earth? By God flexing and showing off. The ultimate peace that will come on earth, if you read in the book of Revelation, if you read how it ends, is God shows up in might and power, and dare I say, there's destruction along with it. And so really we see the next verse that follows is not just a verse in isolation, but in context of the sovereign might and power of God, he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, I want you to think about something. I want to argue that in the context of this verse, that stillness is our response to the sovereignty of God. It's not yoga. It's not meditation. It's not even a discipline that we practice or achieve on our own. It's saying that we, when, when we come face to face with the sovereign power of God, stillness is our response. Anybody agree? Well, let's see if it's true. Now, I want to propose that as we're still, there's different ways to be still. 
We started this sermon with silence. And I would say that silence is a way to walk in stillness. Another way to walk in stillness is standing. And I put standing in quotes. I'm not saying you have to stand literally. You could kneel, you could sit, you could fall on your face. But one way is to stop moving. And then the final one is Sabbath. There we go. It's the beginning of the year, and we just threw out the word Sabbath for some of you. How many of you practice regular Sabbath? Okay, this will be good. So let's go there. All right, here we go. Let's turn to Job 42 through 5. And I want to look at this idea of stillness as an act of silence. Now, you know the story of Job. Job is a righteous man. He walks with God. And like Gary described earlier, these tests come upon him. And really, it's test. I mean, it's to see Satan saying he's going to respond this way. God says, no, respond this way. And so the test comes, and they are catastrophic. I dare say no one in our midst has experienced the kind of trials that Job uh, experiences right here. And then if you remember, his friends show up. And there's kind of a lesson that stillness and silence are important. His friends show up to comfort him, and they do it really good at the beginning. Why is that? Because they don't say a word. They show up, and they sit in silence with him, and it's powerful and effective. Then they mess it up. How do they mess it up? They open their mouths and give their advice, and it's just a wreck for the next several chapters. And finally, God shows up and says, whoa, whoa, enough of it. And God gives his peace to the equation, and God talks about what's going on. And Job listens, and finally in chapter 40, God says, all right, what do you got? He says, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. And so this is Job's opportunity to answer the God of the universe. He's just experienced his sovereignty. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. I want you to think for a minute. Job experiences the sovereignty of God, and what is his response? Silence. If I had to put it another way, he shuts up. Do you guys know what the German word for shut up is? I'll never forget this. I learned it overseas, and it just stuck with me. Anybody know it? Okay, you ready for it? it? Now, I love German because parts of German sound like English. So, like, I was with these kids, and they were teaching me how to say, what is this? And the word for what is this is, was ist das? I'm like, dude, that sounds like English. I can memorize this. And then, of course, you know, being the adult I am, the junior high type adult, I said, how do you say shut up in German? And they giggled, and they said, holt the clapper. Okay, does that not sound like English? Holt the clapper. Like, just halt your clapper. And so when Job experiences the sovereignty of God, he literally halts his clapper. So let me say this, there are times in our life when experiencing the sovereignty of God, the best, the best response is to be quiet. Not to argue, not to make deals, not to try to work it out, but literally just to, 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 to walk in silence. Now what about this idea of standing? Let's flip back to Exodus uh, 14, 10 through 14. Now the book of Exodus, it means coming out, and so this is Uh, the people of Israel coming out of Egypt. Um, God has displayed sovereignty to them through the plagues. If you haven't read in a while, go read the plagues. 
Theologians tell us that each plague addressed one of the gods of Egypt, and so it's not just uh, might and power, but it's actually confronting the might of the gods of Egypt and showing who's boss. And so all this is done. Finally, the Pharaoh, after going back and forth, says, depart, go away. The people leave. They get out to the Red Sea, and remember what happens. The fickle Pharaoh changes his mind and comes after him. And so they're out at the edge of the Red Sea. They've been delivered. They're with Moses. And here comes Pharaoh with his mighty army. Now, logically, on a good day, we would say, well, we've experienced the might and power of God. We know God's mighty and powerful. It's all going to be okay. Is that what they do? No. In fact, they do what many of us would do. This is why I love Israel. I love the disciples. I love to hear about the Pharisees. They're easy to pick on, but they're examples for us of how humans respond in situations. Okay, so here's what they do. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? That is the weirdest question. Like, this is a grave. Like, really, it's a grave issue. They didn't have room to bury you, so we decided to kill you out here. Have you done, what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people. Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will never you will never see again. I want you to think about it. Those of us going through hard things, those of us with things in our lives that, that seem like the enemy, that seem like oppression, that seem like test, Moses says to the people from God, the things that are in your life you will never see again. And here's how he closes. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be what? Still. Quite frankly, stand still and see what God does. And again, this is a response to the sovereignty of God. They've seen all that God did in the plagues, and they're about to see what he's going to do in parting the Red Sea and destroying the Egyptians. And so Moses says on behalf of God, stand still and see what's going to happen. Now, I want us to think for a minute, and what does silence look like in most of our lives? For me, there's not a lot of it going on. I mean, we have speakers for our showers. We have speakers for our cars. We have phones that now have great speakers. We can listen to music anywhere. We have, they're, okay, I always get this. Are they AirPods or EarPods? AirPods. Yeah, okay, the thing. We're always losing them at youth group. I always have one AirPod at the end, and I'm like, whose is this? And everyone's checking their cases to see who it is. But we have so much noise going on that we don't tend to live in silence. And so the question I want to ask is, what does silence look in your life? You have silence. Some of us go to bed with noise going on. We even have white noise, like more noise, so we can even go to sleep. And really the question is, what does silence look like in our lives? Do we have time for it? What does stillness look like? This standing like, the, the, like God tells the people of Israel to do. Do we just stand and be still? Or are we moving all the time? Are we frantic? Are we running? Are we doing? And really the question I think at the heart of it is, why are we so frantic and busy. Now, I'll be honest with you. My busyness 
My talking, my running, my not taking Sabbath is often because I'm trying to play God. Sounds terrible. Some of you are like, why would they let a guy up on a Sunday morning that tries to play God? What a mess. And I'm not saying I should. I'm not saying I'm proud of it. But the reality is often my busyness, my lack of stillness, is I'm trying to get things done. I'm trying to fix things. I'm trying to negotiate. I'm trying to haggle. I'm trying to make it better. I'm trying to provide. And all these things are important things. I'm not putting them down. But there has to be a time when we stop and say, he is God and I am not. And that leads us to our next point of the Sabbath. Because really the Sabbath is an acknowledgement. It's a response to the sovereignty of God that says, you're God and I'm not. I can't do it. That's what Moses says to the people. God's going to show up and do it. You're not going to fix it. So just back off and let God be God. Let's go to the, the Sabbath, Ezekiel 20, 19 through 20. Now, you all know what the Sabbath is, right? It's interesting. I mean, I appreciate the honesty when I said how many of us practice Sabbath. Uh, not a lot of hands went up. Now, there's different responses to that. Some of you would say, well, the Sabbath is a legalistic rule that the Pharisees kind of created rules about. And now as New Testament Christians, we don't have to follow it because the Sabbath was made for man. and man was not made for the Sabbath, right? Amen. And there's a new Sabbath, it's a rest in Jesus. I get it. The question I want to ask is, did the concept of rest ever go away? Then why don't we do it? I hope your answer is better than mine. Because my answer is trying to play God. My answer says, if I stop working, if I stop providing, if I start negotiating, if I stop all these things, it's going to fall apart. And a Sabbath is an acknowledgement before the God of the universe says, I can stop and life will go on. As my dad used to tell me, the world does not revolve around you. And so Sabbath is this time when we stop and say, okay, I can let it go. I'm not saying it has to be a day. I'm not saying it's Saturday or Sunday or all that. It could be part of a day. It could be a few hours each day. I'm not making rules. In fact, if you study the Sabbath, there's not a lot of rules. It's just this idea of do it. So watch what the Sabbath is. This is fascinating. Ezekiel 20, 19. I am the Lord your God. Follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Keep my Sabbaths holy that they may be a sign between us. Now watch this. What's the result of keeping the Sabbath? Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. So according to this verse, if you want to know that Yahweh is the Lord God, how do you get there? You keep his Sabbaths. And we would tend to say, well, watch this video series. There's a good YouTube sermon. Read a book. Read this different dissertation. But God is saying when you keep Sabbaths, you'll know that I'm the Lord your God. Because, again, as we set things aside for a day and the world doesn't come apart and maybe things even go better than when we were running it, we are acknowledging that God is God and we are not. So let me try this. Jump, jump with me to Mark 4.39. So this is one of those great stories of Jesus' miracles. They're out on a boat. A storm comes up. Big storm. It's enough of a storm that the fishermen on the boat are convinced they're going to die. How big a storm is that? 
Fishermen are used to storms. Like, you know, like if I got in a boat and a big storm came up, I'd, I, I hear stories about it, people getting sick and, and, you know, taking Dramamine and all that, and I, I've never been in a big storm. But this is the kind of storm where the fishermen think they're going to die. And I love it because where is Jesus? What? He's taking a nap. I, I don't want to over-spiritualize naps here, but Jesus is taking a nap in the bottom of the boat, Right? And they go and they wake him up and they basically say, do you even care that we're going to die? And Jesus wakes up all panicked and he says, oh no, I took a rest. No, that's not what he does. What does he do? It says here in 439, he says, he got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Now again, think for a minute, how did he say it? I don't know. Probably if I was writing the movie, if I was the director of The Chosen, he would come out in a big, burly, uh, you know, like cowboy voice and go, be quiet, be still. I don't know that. For all I know, the God of the universe got up and said, be quiet, be still. Maybe at a level they could barely hear over the storm. But here's the important thing. However he said it, what happens? They obey. It says right here. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. It was glass. If you've ever wakeboarded or skied, the best water on earth happens about 5 a.m. when there's no other boats out there and it's called glass and you can get out there and do any trick you want. And this raging storm that was causing people to fear for their lives becomes glass because God says so. And so again, we see that stillness in this story is a response to the sovereignty of God. Now, here's my challenge for you and I. When the God of the universe says to be still, when he says to be silent, when he says to stand, when he says to practice Sabbath, what should our response be? To do it. Not to argue, not to debate, not to have a, you know, a week of debating, should we have a Sabbath, and blah, 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 but just say, let's do it. To respond like they did. Now, why would God ask us to do this? Is it possible it's for our own good? Is it possible the creator of mankind says, I know how you're wired, and I know that while you run after sound and busyness and self-accomplishment, I know that when you're still, you're going to know that I'm God and have a far richer life. This has been a kind of a hard year for our family. We got news in July that my wife was sick, and immediately it became busy with hospitals and doctors and blood tests and, and insurance. If you haven't done insurance in a while, that's a world of fun, right? Trying to figure that out and negotiate it. And so all this is happening, and I'm busy, and I'm busy, and I'm busy. And I'll be really honest, I enjoyed the busyness because if I wasn't busy, I had to think about what was going on, and it was overwhelming. So finally... This is the kind of guy I am. From July to Thanksgiving, I'm as busy as I can be. I'm ignoring reality. I'm just staying busy and trying to fix. Because as men, what do we like to do better than anything else? Fix things. Anyone ever hear that in an argument with your wife? She tells you what's going on in her life. She says it. And you're like, hey, why don't we? And she says what? Stop trying to fix it. Just listen. And as men, we, we fall to our knees like, I don't know how to listen. I know how to fix. And I don't know if we really know how to fix. It's just what we think we can do to be powerful. So anyways, Thanksgiving comes. My wife says, Will, you've been cooped up in the house. You're taking care of me. 
you're hyper, you're spastic, go to Africa because we had a planned trip, be with the people there, you know, do medicine, be busy, and maybe you'll get it out of your system. So we go there and we do our stuff, and it, and it goes well. Well, at the end of our trips, we always have a few days where we go see the wildlife and stay at a little tented resort. And, you know, it's kind of the boring part to me, but we did it. Well, this is what's interesting. So we're at the boring part, and uh, it's funny. You go into these animal parks, and they're real strict about not getting out of your vehicle, but they have these little lunch areas where you're allowed to get out, which is so funny because the animals don't know it's a lunch place. It doesn't have a fence or guards. It's just a lunch place. So we're having lunch, and we look over, and, and literally, like, from me to the front row, there's this bull elephant just sitting there peacefully eating grass. Now, if you've ever gone to Tanzania with me, one of my rules is you have to have a picture with an elephant with no cars or vehicles around, just you and the elephant. Like, it has to happen. So I grabbed the young couple that was with us. I said, you stand here. I'll pull out my phone. We'll get a picture of you with the bull elephant. It'll be great. So again, this bull elephant, he's sitting there all calm and eating his grass and whatever, you know, being still. And I pull out the camera, and as soon as I get the camera up, what does he do? He starts flapping his ears and kicking up dust, and he's ready to charge. And so I should have just said run. Instead, I click the picture. Then I say run. And as they're running, the elephant's coming. And luckily, you know, we had the car and it stopped. But we, we lived. Everything's okay. Like they came home. We got them back to Idaho. No one died. Please don't tell Don that story if he's in here. But here's what happened. I came face to face with power and majesty of God's creation. And I went back that night, and again, it's kind of the boring part. We don't have big plans. And I go back to my tent that night, and, I, and I'm laying there for a couple hours, and I'm thinking, man, what is my response to the sovereignty of God? And I was able to do what we talked about here. I was able to stand still. I was able to keep my mouth shut. And the God of the universe in his mercy and might and power walked me through what's going on in my life. And I faced some stuff. I looked at realities. I looked at what's going on. But what's beautiful is I wasn't alone. I didn't fix it. I didn't walk out with a plan. I didn't walk out with a, hey, here's how it's all going to end in the way I want it to. But I walked out knowing that a sovereign God is with me and I'm not alone. So I want us to close. Now, I realized when we started, it was kind of awkward. Some of you couldn't hold the clapper. It's okay. We love you. I want us to close. We're going to take three minutes. It's longer than the beginning. And I want us to close with just stillness and silence. What you do in that time, I don't, I don't have rules for you. But let's take three minutes of still silence and sit before and respond to a sovereign God.
Father, we just praise you this morning that you're sovereign. We thank you that you're God and that we are not. I pray that in the coming year, not by sheer willpower, not by discipline, uh, not by trying harder, but in response to the sovereignty of God, we could walk in stillness in significant and meaningful ways. Praise you and thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we close, a couple things. Uh, over here in the corner, look at that, the lights come on. If you are new or it's your first time or you haven't met uh, Gary, our senior pastor yet, he's going to be over here. He'd love to meet you. He has a gift. He'd like to get to know who you are. If you have any questions about just the church in general, the coming year, the announcements, I think Don is back there by the back. Uh, and so you can go back there and get some questions answered. But we just pray that this is a special and powerful year for you as we walk with Jesus Christ. Good night. Or good day, good day, it's not night yet. <laughs>